Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, where our show title today is Office Market Forecasts, Design, and Strategies. We're going to talk about rental rate and occupancy trends and the forecast there. We're also going to discuss capital market volume and cap rate trends and forecasts there. We'll also talk about some strategies for investors, including tips for repositioning properties. Then we'll cover how business leaders are improving their company's results through creative office design. And then finally, we'll talk about the three mistakes to avoid related to your company's office place. Please welcome my first guest, it's Walter Page. He's Director of Research with the CoStar Group. Walter, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Walter, how is the U.S. office market performing? It seems like it's, it's been doing well for a while. Are we still rolling along? Uh, we are still rolling along. Uh, in fact, it, new numbers in for 16Q2 shows office vacancy levels have vacancies have declined to 10.6, which is a business cycle low, and are down from 11.1% one year er- earlier. Uh, rent growth, absorption, and completion levels uh, matched what happened in 15Q2. So for 16Q2, we had 13 million square feet of completions, 27 million square feet of net absorption nationwide, and 4% rent growth. All in all, it's a pretty good year. Wow, that seems uh, very good. Has that improved when when you look at a graph on that? Is that is that the best we've had, or is that normal for this this time period? Well, okay, so the absorption number is running right at about a hundred million square feet mm-hmm. um, on an annual basis, which is uh, near a business cycle high, mm-hmm. uh, but you know maybe down a little bit from what we were last year. Two thousand fifteen is still likely to go on the books as being the best year of the, the real estate cycle, at least for the office market. Okay. And do we have any shifts by market or by class uh, for performance? Are Class A uh, properties still outperforming others, or what do you see? Well, uh, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, the Class A segment, we, we've referred to them as four- and five-star properties, um, are currently getting more than double their fair share of net absorption. So 64% of the net absorption in the marketplace is that type of space. They only account for a third of the space in the marketplace. And what's really interesting is that at the same point in the last cycle, uh, instead of 64%, we were at 54% uh, concentration of Class A space net absorption. So clearly tenants really want nice space. And we did a little study of new space that's uh, less than 10 years old and vacant, and we find that the amount of vacant new space on the market today, or newer space, is half of what it was um, back in 2007. So clearly, there's a big shift to nice, newer space. That's interesting. So why do you think that's the case? Is it because recruiting so much more important now, or, or do we... Or do, you, do we have the funds to do it? Well, I think office rents are cheap relative to the cost of people. That, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably the, the number one thing. And then it's, it's, the labor markets are getting tighter. Um, so, you know, at a 5% unemployment rate, uh, you, you know, you want to stand out of the pack. 
yeah. and have nice space. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I know we used to be in a what I'd say was a, a B building uh, that I owned, and then we moved to the top floor of an A building and did a really cool build out. And it's a very pleasant place to work, and it certainly helped. I know I was doing recruiting in my old B building, and, and then one guy actually told me, you know, I love your company, love to work with you guys, but I don't like the space, <laughs> so it can really be helpful. And location's important, too. So, you know, what do you see for, for location analysis on the performance side? Are, are the central business districts still outperforming suburbia? Uh, yes, significantly. Uh, you know, when you look across the markets, um, you know, look at mar- big CBD markets like Chicago, New York, Boston, even some West Coast markets like Seattle, uh, you see the rent growth is, is really much stronger in the CBD than the suburban market. For example, in Chicago, the CBD rent growth is 5.5%, while in the suburbs, it's 1.3%. In Boston, we had over 10% rent growth in the CBD and only 3% rent growth in the suburbs. Um, so you can see that that is, is a thing. And even in, um, you know, like Dallas, uh, higher rent growth in the CBD than what people perceive as a, a good market like Uptown Turtle Creek and Preston Center. So clearly tenants want uh, newer space in CBDs. Well, it's interesting. So as I want to wear the opportunities, I mean, if some of these uh, CBD district newer buildings start filling up and and uh, and the rents keep increasing, does that mean there might be some opportunities for uh, acquisition in the, some of these suburban buildings? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, on a pricing perspective, some of these suburban markets uh, have prices that are well below um, prior peaks of last time, last business cycle, uh, and very limited construction activity in many suburban markets. Pricing, you so, mean rents or purchase prices? Well, both are, okay. are below where they were. Um, and so in many respects, our view is that some of the best opportunities in the marketplace are the what we call premier suburban locations. So those are close-in suburban locations, uh, not the far-out suburban locations, because you can get at a pretty good price today. Okay. And so you've had pretty good uh, rent growth overall in the U.S. for the office market. What do you expect moving forward? So over the past year, we've had 4% rent growth, uh, similar to what we had last year. We expect this number to start to go down, but still remain in the 3 to 4% range uh, for the next couple of years. So that's still good, uh, healthy growth then, right? Well, you know, if, if inflation's two percent and you're getting three to four percent rent growth in the office sector, uh, that's that's very positive for the, the sector. Okay, and of course, new supply can can impact everything. So, what do you see for the volume of new supply, and how's that impacting the market? So, right now, we have 130 million square feet of office space underway in the United States. Um, that's down from 133 million square feet a year ago. So, you know, down three million. That decline is isolated to Houston. Uh, Houston went from 12 million square feet underway last year at this time to 4 million square feet underway today. Uh, But we've also seen an interesting thing in that the number of uh, office starts, which peaked at about 25 million uh, square feet starting in uh, a couple quarters ago, is now down closer to 15 million square feet or, you know, 
down a good 10 million square feet. I would contend that some of that is because people are getting concerned that there could be a recession and lenders are getting more uh, conservative. And this is preventing uh, what I would call a speculative boom in construction, which for the most part would be good for the office sector. Yeah, I mean, that, that, must, that is a very good point. I mean, we don't want the overbuilding that we had in the past. And I guess if, if our um, friends in the uh, development business and, and the banking business are pulling back the range a little bit, it kind of helps uh, everybody, doesn't it? Yes, I think, I think it's becoming more and more transparent that people know when people are building things. And we're not as likely to get these markets with you know, 20 and 30 percent vacancy because of new construction. I guess more people are paying for the CoStar information, right? <laughs> they, know, they know what's going on. That's right. So what about markets that uh, have seen the most improvement in, in rates and occupancy? What's Who's hot out there? You know, the housing bust markets uh, show up really well. Uh, take Phoenix. The vacancy in Phoenix is down by 1.5% in the past year, and rent growth is over 5%. Uh, in Atlanta, we saw a 1.2% decline in vacancy and 6% rent growth. And then, uh, in addition to the housing bus markets, the tech markets are still doing pretty well. Uh, San Francisco is at a business cycle low for vacancy uh, in the 6% range and had over 9% rent growth. Seattle had uh, 6% rent growth, and Boston had 7% rent growth. So we have a pretty broad base between the housing bus markets and the tech markets uh, doing pretty well. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to see what some of these companies that uh, are going to have some rate shock, right, when, they're, when their leases expire. We're already experiencing here uh, in Atlanta where we're headquartered. And we're going to have to take a short break, but we've got Walter Page on the line with us with CoStar. And when we get back, we're going to talk about the capital markets, investment properties. We're going to look at cap rates. We're going to look at forecasts and the factors impacting the investment sales market. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit getvaluate.com. That's getvaluate.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Our show title today, Office Market Forecasts, Design, and Strategies. My guest is Walter Page. He's Director of Research with CoStar Group. And, Walter, I'd like to ask you about the investment sales market, the capital markets. What are you seeing for volume? It would seem like with the improvements that we've seen in the, in the fundamentals, the occupancy and the rates in the office market, that you know, investors will be clamoring toward the office space. Well, they have been. Uh, on a general perspective, sales volumes are high on historical basis, but they are down about 20% uh, from year earlier levels in the first half of uh, 2016. Uh, so, you know, clearly we're seeing some slowing in the uh, capital flows. And we, we even saw a, a, a blowout of CMBS spreads earlier in the year. Uh, they since have come back. But things like um, fear of a recession, 
this Brexit thing uh, and, and other things like that is causing the market to become not as um, uh, liquid as what it was in the past. Okay. Well, so it's because of fear of the market. It's not because there's less maybe large Class A assets that uh, are available to trade? Well, in some cases, that may be the, the case. Uh, I mean, you know, remember, we, we've had such tremendous sales volumes over the past few years that all the good stuff has already traded. Uh, that, that may be, uh, but for the most part, what I'm hearing from our clients is that when they put stuff to the market, the buyer pool is smaller. Hmm. Um, the number of buyers is smaller, so instead of 20 bids, they might get... 10 or 5 bids, um, they might even have more uh, situations where somebody would renegotiate the price after it's been agreed upon. Uh, so uh, it, clearly we're seeing some signs that the market is slowing. Yeah, that's interesting too because if you look at the lack of, of yield and other uh, investment opportunities around the world, you know, real estate seems like a safe place to put your money. So what do you see for cap rates in the office market today? So while the sales volumes are slowing, the cap rates are, are still very low. Um, the cap rates as a whole are holding pretty steady. If we look at, for example, if we look at the Class A uh, cap rates, um, they've basically been holding very steady in the 6.2 to 6.5 range, and really uh, not that many trades are less than 6%. Uh, for the the B's and C's, we're, we're seeing the cap rates um, continuing to compress uh, to some extent as we have a flight or a search for yield, uh, although even of late those have been holding fairly steady. Uh, so for, you know, like a C property might be closer to a 7% cap rate. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I've... Uh I've putting on the market a, a Class A building uh, in, outside the Nashville and the Nashville submarket at a seven cap. It's a Class A, and it seems like there's there's real good opportunity and uh, that uh, they'd be a safe asset class for for a lot of investors, especially with what you said earlier with um, new supply starting to trend down a little bit, right? Uh, yeah, I mean clearly we still have people wanting to invest in real estate. Uh, you know, with this Brexit thing, we, we expect that, you know, there's going to actually be more foreign investment in the United States. Uh, we're tracking about 11% of the direct investment is right now uh, coming from foreign investors. And if you add in the uh, indirect fund investments, you know, it's probably closer to 20% of the volume comes from the foreign investors. So, you know, clearly we still think that there's going to be um, capital coming to real estate. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, with the changes in FERPTA and now uh, Brexit, it seems like uh, uh, U.S. is still going to be a safe haven. So what does that mean for cap rates moving forward? So we got a couple things going on here. Uh, you know, we have this flight to quality, so uh, very low U.S. Treasury rates. Uh, we also have a increasing spread, risk spread, and in the end, what our view is that we're going to basically have flat cap rates going forward. So 
what you get today is probably what you're going to have uh, for the next few years. And then do changes in interest rate impact that at all, or are you just thinking that they're going to stay so low that it's not going to really have much of an impact on cap rates for the next few years? We, we think that the interest rates, um, you know, we're not so certain that we're going to have an interest rate increase um, coming in the second half of this year. Uh, and even if we do, uh, we just don't see that there's going to be that much um, push to uh, change cap rates. Okay. We're talking with Walter Page with CoStar about the office market. And, Walter, where are some opportunities in the office sector for investors today? So there's a couple um, things that we, we generally like. If you're a core investor, somebody who is uh, wants to be low risk, uh, we uh, favor strategies that focus on high occupancy locations. Uh, that can be in any particular market. There's always a place that uh, tends to do better. So, for example, if you're in Dallas, uh, Preston Center and Turtle Creek tend to have uh, higher occupancy rates than other places. If you're in uh, Los Angeles, West LA tends to have uh, higher occupancy rates. And the reason why you want higher occupancy rates is with higher occupancy, you get better rent growth, you get better value gains, and things like that. So you can stomach now, that. Value add investor, mm -hmm. we think now is a great time to fix up buildings. Um, this flight-to-quality thing is very, very strong, and if when a person renovates a building, they often get a 10 to 15% spike in rents following um, the completion of a renovation. So that's a, that's a great area for investment also. And could those buildings be in, in cities like Boston and San Francisco, or maybe look at maybe some smaller markets? Uh, Generally speaking, the more urban the market, uh, the better the market performance is likely to be. Uh, they can be in the in the smaller markets, but in more uh, infill type locations. Okay, and uh, what about uh, these distress opportunities that some investors have thought we we're going to have coming down the pike here with some of these ten-year maturities? Have you guys seen any of that? Do you expect any of those? type of distressed office deals? Uh, very little distressed office deals uh, that we have seen. I've heard of some, but very few. Uh, I think the capital markets has bailed them out. The only uh, area that I think that there could be some distress is maybe coming in Houston, um, principally because of uh, you know, the weakness in that market due to the energy market. Okay. So distressed office deals, it's like the unicorn, right? They're, they're just not out there. They're, they're not. They're not. And most likely they're being priced uh, like a regular deal anyways. Yeah, that's true. Well, Walter Page, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Well, as usual, great information from Walter Page with the CoStar Group. And as Walter mentioned, maybe some opportunities in repositioning some of these office buildings. You've, you've heard the rental rates increasing, occupancy increasing, but yet you do have some of these older buildings with opportunities. So next we're going to speak with someone uh, who's going to give us some ideas on repositioning office buildings. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Are you interested in the senior housing industry? Well, you're invited to attend the third annual Interface Senior Housing Southeast Conference. It will be August 24th and 25th in Atlanta at the Westin Buckhead. 
For more information, visit CREshow.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about the office market. We're covering forecast, design, and strategies. Please welcome my next guest. It's Haril Pandia. He is an architect. He's principal of CBT Architects. They're headquartered in Boston. He's director of asset strategy and repositioning. Harold, thanks for uh, bo- uh, joining us today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for, uh, for having me on. Haril, right? Say it right. Yeah. Haril. Yep, <laughs> well, you, you are in charge of asset strategies. You're in charge of repositioning. And repositioning office buildings seems like a great subject today. I mean, there's a lot of older office buildings around the country that may be uh, ripe for, for repositioning. Do you think it's a good time right now at this point in the cycle? This is a great market, you know, uh, and a great time um, to be to be looking at repositioning buildings. We are, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to be in Boston, where there's a lot of great old buildings, and there's a lot of um, sort of uh, real estate developers and owners that want to come into that market because it is a good time to buy that type of asset and uh, really put a lot of value add into it. So, downtown, suburban. You know, all these buildings that are sort of in the area that have been aging over the, over, uh, over the years, actually, it's pretty ripe to, as you said, to kind of get in there and give it a refresh, a rebrand, and, uh, and reposition in the market. What might we look for as a good repositioning opportunity? Well, I think, you know, as these, as these uh, office buildings tend to trade hands between uh, one owner and another, I think it's just, you know, it's the classic real estate game of trying to buy in low and kind of sell the thing high. And I think we tend to find buildings that are about to either have large uh, leasing vacancies. So if a large tenant with a large amount of square footage is about to leave and they're not going to renew, it creates a vacancy in the building. And, you know, the new owners come in and say, well, well, this building's going to be empty. It's probably a good value to to get it. We'll infuse some money into it and then, um, you know, and then be able to sell high when the time is right. And I think those rules sort of hold true for both downtown and uh, suburban markets. Okay. And is there any significance or, or value if you're buying a property to reposition to, to maybe have some style to the building or some historic nature? And, and, and if so, how can you utilize that to, to power your numbers? Well, we're, we're storytellers. You know, mm-hmm. that's one thing that uh, we really pride ourselves at, at our office. And the, the thing we like to really dive into deep is each, you know, to try to find each building story. And I think, you know, it's in many ways, it's a little formulaic to be able to go in and say, okay, this building needs a, a lobby refresh, or okay, this building, you know, might need a fitness facility or something like that. And all those things are fine. But for us, we'd like to really extract, you know, uh, a story or a narrative out of the building, whether it's a historic one, whether it's a location-driven one, whether it's, you know, this building happens to house a lot of technology tenants. So, you know, maybe there's a story around that. And really try to personify the building to give it character and then ultimately differentiate it in the marketplace. And I think that's really the key. You know, if you're an asset owner and you own three of these things and it's on a on the technology belt on 128 here in Boston, you got to create a little differentiation. And I think that really comes through uh, really creative storytelling. Yeah. Well, what about, uh, you know, I understand when you have a, a nice, pretty older building, right, that's got some style and character, but what if you have a building that was kind of built in, I don't know, the 60s or 70s or something and it's, it's kind of ugly? Yeah, well, you know, ugly in the eye of the beholder, I guess. I mean, I think <laughs> right. some of the some of the stuff that we're seeing in the '60s and '70s is some really great classic 
uh, architecture, you know, from, from the nerdist side or my side of it all <laughs> when I look at it. But I think they all have an opportunity to kind of get a facelift or become more current in the, in the marketplace, you know. Sometimes we forget how good the building was when it was originally done, and trying to bring some of that, you know, lore and character back is really kind of a, a great way to look at it. Building, uh, buildings in Boston are notorious to either be brutalist or the tougher ones to look at, but they all have a great character and a story. Yeah. Well, what are some tips that uh, a developer or investor might look at for for building when it comes to maybe the facade or, or the lobby when they're starting to look at something to reposition? Because you really want that first impression to, to say, hey, there's something new here, right? Yeah, you, you got it absolutely right. I mean, it's just like it's just like the car door test, right? I mean, when you shut that car door and you know it feels good, the rest of the experience feels fantastic. And that really begins with, you know, the handles on the doors all the way to the elevators all the way down the hall and to your desk and that entire tenant experience or guest experience is critical and we're making it very akin or hearing it to be very akin to hospitality in hotels the same way you sort of come in and arrive and experience it all is very similar in office buildings we want you to feel like this building belongs to you if you're a lead tenant or if you're uh, you know a guest arriving trying to visit someone you know, going to visit someone we want that experience to be fantastic so the lobbies the facades the facades want to be more energy efficient and the lobbies want to be a lot more welcoming and, and almost hospitality-like. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I was uh, I was reading some of your from your work, and you were talking about the the lobbies being welcoming and, and making you feel comfortable when you get there. And uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's a big part of design. And then you talked about security and, and how do you work the same thing and we're going to have to take a short break but when we get back i want to ask you about something else that you've done where you did a couple office spaces or maybe you've done a lot of them and you created areas that were quiet and where, uh, areas that will work and areas that are social you don't want to miss this stay with us i'm michael bull this is the commercial real estate show we'll be right back First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For requests, assumptions, consulting, and restructuring, call First Service Solutions at 817-756-7227. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today our show is titled Office Market Forecast, Design, and Strategies. My guest is Harrell Pandia. He's with CBT Architects. And before the break, we were talking about um, office design. And it's become very important, hasn't it, on the productivity and recruiting and retention of uh, for companies today. And I read an article, and we'll, we'll put a link on, on the show page here, but uh, read an article that you had in, in NAOP titled, Is the Corner Office Dying? And uh, tell us, you know, what's happening to that treasured uh, corner office? I mean that's just it, right? It's your, it's the trophy of the the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and it's a it's a generational shift, really. Uh, the corner office was the the coveted great award, and I think now, as you see more and more companies sort of diffusing that whole notion that you know that is the most important thing to achieve. I think right now, the most valued thing is the the how we work and how we're getting work done. It's uh, you'll find more and more CEOs out in the bullpen with everybody else working. You'll find more and more execs you know being more a part of uh the workplace and i think from that perspective it you don't really need that corner room to be in that uh to be in a position of power to be an executive i think we're seeing those generational shifts 
you know, happen more and more so that the corner office is essentially gone. Right. And then uh, you um, created space for Novartis and Bridgespan, the offices, and I read about that. It was really interesting, or I, I saw you speak on it on YouTube, but you created three different areas, uh, an area for quiet and an area for work in an area for social. I thought it was all supposed to be work. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's just that when you're talking about uh, um, employee retainage and, and attracting tenants and creating these factors and attractors to make sure that, you know, people are, are coming to not only your buildings but to your companies. And I think, you know, we're, because of the, the infusion of the millennial generation, I mean, I think their ability to be able to pretty much work anywhere or what I like to call them the where generation because they can work anywhere you know, they're able to kind of say, well, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, need to be at a desk or in an office to, to work. I mean, they're the first ones that really kind of took the art eye devices or whatever and really decentralized how we work. So, you know, the ability to have social spaces, to have a break, a mental break from what you're doing, and to be able to have quiet spaces when you really want to have focus time or to have more general areas where you can work differently, whether it's conference space or, you know, different types of desk setups, that variety, that sort of flexibility is really what that generation is looking for and has infused that really uh, pretty heavily into the workplace. And both those companies, Bridgespan and Novartis, of uh, those examples, have really taken advantage of that so much so that Bridgespan has become address-free, meaning you, go, you come to work and you really have no desk. You essentially clock in and pretty much can sit anywhere and through voice over IP or that sort of thing. You can pretty much grab a phone call or sit anywhere and work however you'd like to work. Well, that's interesting because I think sometimes you, you'd like to be around people and the excitement and the energy and, and, and maybe the networking, but then sometimes you want to be alone because you have to concentrate on something and you need that quiet area, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And then one of the things that uh, seems to be prevalent out there, we, we hear a lot about it, our standing desk. Are people really standing up and working? You know, it, it started out as a, as a thing to be able to say, like, you know, I can't sit. It's causing some lumbar issues. There's definitely some ergonomic problems of just sitting all day, 8, 10 hours a day, if that's the type of job. And to be able to have that flexibility, you know, jokingly, we have seen it in other markets or other offices where people have treadmill desks or they'll have, you know, cycle desks where you could just sort of be active. And I think part of it is to encourage activity and to be able to offer that level of flexibility that you can sit and stand and not really interrupt your workflow is a good is a good option we have a few at our own office where people are are just standing and they're you know they're they're functioning just fine and then the desk sort of comes down and it's not necessarily the desk itself it could be like one of those little add-on components that you can put on your desk but it's definitely uh it's not gonna it's not gonna be the the next you know trending giant thing but it's definitely an option that people are, are looking for okay and one of the things it seems like some companies are trying to do since everyone's so mobile these days is actually attract people to the office track their employees and their salespeople to come to the office so what can you do in a design um, factor or design trends today that will really bring people in yeah, I mean, this really just comes down to what I keep using. I call it the F word and the C word. <laughs> the F word is you've got to be flexible, and the C word is you've got to be collaborative. And I think to be able to create the spaces that allow collaboration and flexibility are absolutely critical. I often talk about, you know, the millennials are coming. The millennials are coming because they're creating all this infusion. Well, the millennials are here, but we're really looking further out to uh, Generation Z, which in five or seven years at this point are going to be in the workplace. And, you know, when you look at how 
those kids today are functioning, working together, interacting together, that level of, you know, flexibility in the workspace is going to be critical, where one space can be, you know, a conference space in one minute, and it can be an all-hands-on meeting for something else another minute. It could be an event space, you know, on one day, or it could be broken up into nesting desks, and it can become, you know, a quiet work area. That level of flexibility, as the space requirement gets less and less for an office, that flexibility is going to be more important because that generation is dying to collaborate. They're dying to talk to each other. So I think this is where we're headed as far as office goes, is being able to create these zones. Um, it's not sort of these isolated, you know, cubes or offices anymore. There's going to be these zones, essentially, that are really going to be how we work. And we're short on the break, but what's next? It seems like office design is, is, is really evolving quickly. Yeah, I mean, you know, the big thing that we're seeing and hopefully causing the tidal wave of is really you know, trying to blur the line of essentially where we work and where we live. We're noticing more and more that suburban office campuses have everything from restaurants to residential to office space to retail, you name it, it's in one spot, and people are clamoring for that that sort of thing. Not only because your commute's a lot less, but it really becomes a live-work-play sort of scenario. And same with downtown. Downtown, you your building has fitness and cafes and it has great conferencing centers and we're putting in fireplaces and creating almost pseudo living rooms and lobbies we're really trying to delineate and 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 blur the lines between work and home because yeah you know there is there is really no nine to five anymore That's so right. the more comfortable we can make people the better Ariel pandia thanks for joining us and stay tuned we'll have some tips that you don't want to miss mistakes to avoid in your office environment Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about the office market. We're including forecast, design, and strategies. And now, we're going to talk strategies with Eric Harris, and he is VP of Corporate Office Services with Bull Realty. Eric, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Thanks for having me here. And Eric, we've promised the uh, listeners out there that we'd share with them the top three mistakes to avoid related to their office space. So what is number one? Just three. <laughs> just three, yeah, just the top three. Uh, well, number one, you don't want to start late. Uh, we recommend that you get out in front of things by starting uh, well in advance, 12, 18 months uh, in advance based on the size of your company and make sure that you can get your market intelligence, see what's out there, see what's available for you um, so that you can make a smart decision. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I see that as well because you really want uh, negotiation power on your side and if you're up against a time frame to give notice you can be in a position where the landlord can force whatever rates on you right exactly and, and the key word there was notice yeah. you want to stay in front of your notice not just your renewal period there because um, that notice could be nine months a year uh, in front of when you're actually supposed to renew uh, and that gives you time to again get out in front of things right so you talk to your office manager CFO some hey when's the lease expired and they go well I'll wait but we've got to get a notice a year before mm-hmm. and uh, so what's an example so let's say that I need uh, 20,000 square feet uh, and I'm in a city like Atlanta and I want to be in one of the really hot 
market areas of Atlanta that might be a little tighter, what kind of time frame should I start out in front of my notice time frame? Well, for you know, 20,000 feet mm -hmm. in hot Atlanta, uh, <laughs> you want to be probably two years in advance. You're showing your age, so calling it hot Atlanta. That's been a while. Well, sometimes it's good to show your age. <laughs> <laughs> it's experience, right? Experience. So, right. what's number two um, top mistakes to avoid related to your office space? Well, another thing you want to do is review uh, the market kind of on a regular basis. You don't want to wait until your renewal period and, and then take a look at what, what's out there. What you want to do is take a look at the market because there might be something going on that gives you an opportunity to make a move earlier than expected. So um, it's good to review the market with your professional if you have one in hand and uh, make sure you know what's out there. Right, because you may want to look at mark to market, right? Maybe there's a maybe the rents have dropped in your market, and maybe you'll be able to extend and blend. Maybe extend the time frame and get a break, or maybe get some TI. And you also kind of want to look at what's going on inside your business, right? Not just the market. Exactly, because uh, your real estate transaction, your real estate is going to benefit your bottom line in some manner. Yeah. And if we find a change that positively reflects a change in your bottom line take advantage of right. it. All right, and then drum roll number three on the top mistakes to avoid. <laughs> number three, hire a professional. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to try and do things on your own. I don't believe you go into court uh, <laughs> without a lawyer. Uh, I would not recommend that you go into usually what's a large transaction uh, for your company without a professional. I don't even work on my own car. <laughs> <laughs> Cut your own grass. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that's, uh, that's what we recommend. Uh, uh, it's good for advice. It's good for your timing. Uh, it's good to show how things can affect your bottom line. Right, and you're talking about hiring professionals as a, a team, right? So what sort of team do you, what sort of the dream team look like? Well, dream team, and because I'm a tenant rep, is going to start with your tenant rep. Okay. Um, but there's also your lawyer. You need to make sure you've got your lawyer, a real estate attorney mm -hmm. uh, on staff. You need to make sure that you've got the right design team. Uh, property and pro project management um, for getting anything done. So uh, there's a myriad of folks that are required to make a successful transaction and uh, we recommend that you, you get them on board. Well, those are great uh, top three tips there, mistakes to avoid. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. And uh, next week, we're going to have a great show. We're going to talk about retail. We're going to talk the, about the retail investment market. We're going to share some tips for retailers. And we're going to talk about cap rates and what to expect moving forward. And you know, retail has certainly been one of the sectors kind of hardest hit by the uh, internet and what's going on with online sales. So we'll have some some experts in Studio One and online to share what's going on there. Uh, make sure you join us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and we appreciate you being with us today. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent. Building data everywhere. Valuate. Easily share what-if analysis with colleagues online. And First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For more information on how these businesses may be of service to you, visit CREshow.com.